Take your Bibles from the few next to you or down in front of you if you're like me. And let's, uh, let's turn to Luke chapter 10. Now, uh, last week we talked about Moses and we talked about uh, how God told Moses what his name was. And he said, as, as it's translated for us, I am that I am. But we also learned that, you know, that's not necessarily, it's already popping, isn't it? Not necessarily the, the translation that it should be. Uh, it could be, as we learned, I will be what I will be. I, I, I was what I was. I was what I am. I, I was what I was. You know, it, it could mean all those things. And then this morning we we're singing the song again. I think God's trying to emphasize something to us uh, because it wasn't planned. We sing a song, my Savior is, my Savior was, my Savior always going to be. And, and that's true for us. And we need to, God is definitely telling us something uh, about himself. There's something he's wanting us to learn. This week we begin a new, uh, a new series. We're still, we're still in that overarching theme of on mission with God that we've been, on, been in since the 1st of January. Uh, we will be until the end of May. But whereas last week or last month our series was Know That God Provides, this month in April we're beginning the Know Your Priori Priorities series. Know Your Priorities. What is most important in our life? And, and not just most important. We're going to talk about that a little bit today uh, with uh, looking at Mary and Martha in Luke chapter 10. But we're going to look at over the next month, what should we be about? What should we be doing? And we're going to look at numerous biblical examples of knowing your priorities and, and people in the Bible who knew their priorities and some, some who didn't. And some who knew what to do when God called. And some who, who didn't do exactly what they should have when God called. So we're going to look at a number of different things. But this morning, we're looking at Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Now, uh, as I try to get technology to work for me. There we go. Today's title is One Thing is Necessary, and, and I, I don't know how many of you have seen the movie uh, City Slickers uh, with uh, uh, Billy Crystal. Thank you. His name just completely left me. Billy Crystal and all these other guys. Remember Curly, uh, played by Jack Palance, or Jack Palance, I never knew how to say his last name. Um, Curly, uh, there was one point in the movie where Curly was talking to uh, uh, Billy Crystal's character, and I, I really wanted to show this clip, but I really couldn't because of the language. <laughs> there was just no way to edit it and make it, you know, it just it wouldn't happen. Um, so I only could help you bring it to mind. Uh, Curly was talking to him, and he was telling him, you know, you, your life is so mixed up, and it was funny because, number one, he said, you know, you're 30, how old are you, he asked him. He asked Billy Crystal, 39. Well, Billy Crystal was not 39 when that movie was made. I don't believe that for a second, number one. Number two, now I'm only two years from that. Um, and number three, he, would, he went on to say, you know, you're all alike. You hit this age, 
and, and you come up here, you spend 50 weeks out of your year tearing your insides, tying your insides in a knot, and then you expect two weeks to help you untie that knot up, up here. So anyway, he was giving him these life lessons, but he, he said, uh, he told Billy Crystal that uh, there was only one thing that matters. The secret to life was one thing. And, of course, in typical Billy Crystal fashion, he said, your finger? You know, um, and he said, one thing, and he, so Billy Crystal said, what? What is it? That's what you have to figure out, Curly told him. Well, turns out, surprisingly enough, Curly got it right. There is one thing that's necessary. Uh, he got it from Jesus. Uh, that was who uh, told us that one thing mattered. And it isn't hard to figure out. Unlike Billy Crystal's character, we don't have to spend two weeks on a dude ranch. I mean, some of you spend your entire lives on ranches. So you've got, that's, that's not an issue for you. Uh, we don't have to spend two weeks away anywhere trying to figure it out. 30 minutes in God's Word will do it for us. So let's, uh, let's look at Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. It says... I can turn the page. There we go. While they were traveling, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary, who also sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks, and she came up and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So tell her to give me a hand. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has made the right choice, and it will not be taken away from her. You hear that? One thing is necessary. It, not to push it too far or sound sacrilegious, but you, know, it's, you, you hear that echo of what Curly told Billy Crystal's character. One thing is necessary. Well, what is that one thing? Let's look at the passage and see what God's words telling us. Verse 38, while they were traveling, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Now, this is very fitting. Uh, this wasn't immediately prior to the crucifixion, but this was before the crucifixion. Jesus is moving toward Jerusalem at this point. And that's what this whole section of Luke is about, is Jesus moving toward the crucifixion. He is on the path there, um, and he comes to this house, and we know Mary and Martha from uh, the book of John. Excuse me, we know that uh, this is the Mary who anointed Jesus' feet. We know that this is the Mary and Martha who are the sisters of Lazarus. Uh, so we know a good bit about this family. Luke chooses not to tell us all that information here because it's, it's not important. It, it's not necessary for, uh, for, for the story, for his point here. We know they lived in Bethany. Bethany was down the hill and up the hill on the side of the Mount of Olives from Jerusalem. So it was just across the river uh, that they lived there. And this was one of his final stops before, before moving in. We see in verse 38 and, and following, actually, the proper response to the message of Jesus. Martha was welcoming and Mary was listening. Now we could be real quick to, to, to get on to Martha. 
Let's say at the outset, understand there was nothing wrong with what Martha was doing. And this is the point of my sermon today. There was nothing wrong with what Martha was doing. Hospitality is great. It's necessary, especially if we take it in the context of they had Jesus in their house. The message of the kingdom of God was coming to their home. Martha was welcoming that message into her home. We should all be doing that, welcoming that into our lives. So we have a great example from her of that. So let's begin with that. Let me get that in your head first, and then we'll talk about it a little bit more later. So the welcoming was good. The, the invitation, the excitement of having the message of the kingdom of God preached to her is great. And then we have uh, Mary who took it a step further. He, she did the other part that you're supposed to do, the listening, the paying attention, the absorbing of the message of the kingdom of God. So we've got some great We've got some good things going on here. But let's keep going. Verse 39 says, She had a sister named Mary, who also sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what she had, uh, what he said. Now understand, this is a, a bit scandalous at this time that a rabbi would teach a woman. Women were not allowed in the schools, in, in, the, in the Levitical, the, the theological schools, the, the seminary of the day. So for him to even allow her to sit at his feet, which was the typical posture of, of students under a rabbi, for him to allow that was, was scandalous. It was, it, 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 he was breaking ground. We know that Jesus allowed women to do things uh, that, that, that just were unheard of in that day. He gave them the respect that, that was unheard of. He, uh, they, they, they learned, they, they taught, we see in the, in the New Testament uh, later on. Things that, that some would say today that Christianity belittles women and holds them down. And I beg to differ. Jesus was a model of, of bringing women up. No difference. Male, female, slave, free, Jew, or Greek. And we see that in Jesus' life. So this was, though it was scandalous, Jesus was not afraid of scandal when it was right. So let's remember that as well. And it says in this verse, what he said. And that phrase literally in, in, in the original translation, it says that she was listening to his word. The word, word there, Luke usually uses as word of God. So in the rest of the book of Luke, he, he uses the same phrasing. He just adds of God to the end of it. He means the same thing here. The intent is the, it is the exact same thing as when he would say the word of God. Luke understood, as did, I believe, Mary, that when Jesus spoke, he was speaking the very word of God. We understand that fully, that he was God. They may not have quite grasped, it, grasped that at this time, but they understood this man speaks for God. So when Luke says his word, he is saying that Jesus is speaking the word of God. Verse 40, but Martha was distracted by her many tasks. And she came up and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So tell her to give me a hand. Now, there are a lot of little words we're going to look at here. For first, distracted. The word distracted actually means uh, 
pulled away. The idea here is that she wanted to be with Jesus. She wanted to go there and sit next to Mary and, and learn and listen and absorb but something had gone wrong, and I don't mean she, you know, the, the biscuits were burning or anything like that, but in her heart, something had gone wrong with the right thing to do, and she failed to go in and sit with, with the master. She became distracted. She was pulled away. I want to be here, but I've got things to do. There's a lot to do. I can't spend time with Jesus like I need to. I've got work to do. I have things to do. And it says here, many tasks. Uh, it actually is, that is translated much serving. Now, this is the same serving the, in the Greek word that is diakonos, which we get the word deacon from. And as was already up there, remember that deacons were appointed because service, the church was getting so large that service was getting in the way of the preaching of the word. So they appointed deacons to do the serving, to do the ministry, do the helping, so that the preaching of the word would not suffer. So we see here, even in, in this little setting between just a few among just a few people, that while service was important, service could not get in the way of the word of God. And that's what Mary and Martha were learning. We also see something that we can take Martha to task on. Uh, she tells Jesus what he must say. Look what he, she says. Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve? So tell her to give me a hand. She tells Jesus what he must say. Mary, on the other hand, sitting at his feet, is listening to what Jesus wishes to say. She is there waiting. Jesus, I have no agenda for you. You speak, and I'll listen. God, you tell me what to do, and I'll do it. Martha, on the other hand, says, God, Jesus, I've got things to do. Could you work it out so that my things get done, please? And if I could get some help, that'd be great. You hear the difference in the attitudes? It should be should be fairly clear. And the other thing here is Martha, when she says this, when she says, uh, so tell her to give me a hand, Greek, you can, word order does not matter in Greek. The sentence, so tell her to give me a hand, in, in verse 40, could just as easily be written, me to a hand, give her so tell. And it would make complete sense if you read it in Greek. You could jumble up the words all you wanted to, and it wouldn't matter. But there is some emphasis they do. They'll put words at the beginning or the end uh, or in the middle to emphasize certain points. And the way this is written in the Greek tells us that Martha clearly expected Jesus to say, Mary, get up and go. She thought she was in the right. I've got work to do. This is a good thing. Tell Mary to come help me do this good thing. And Jesus is going to say, go. Go do the good thing. Didn't happen that way. Verse 41. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. He says her name twice, which is gently critical. Anytime it happens this way, 
You know, a lot of times we see, verily, verily, God called Moses, Moses, Moses. There's an emphasis when they do that. When they repeat, they're emphasizing something. Jesus here, the tone is, Martha, Martha. That, that really probably had to be all he had to say. And, and it would have gotten the point of cross. The point of cross. I mean, doesn't it work with parents a lot of the times? Michael, Michael. Yeah. But he didn't stop. He said, you were worried about and upset about many things. Worried, distracted from the things of God. Remember that worry in the Bible, the, the Greek word for worry means of two minds. That's literally what it means. I've got my mind over here, but there's this other thing that has split my mind. So I'm not given attention and focus to what I need to because my mind is split. And that's what's happening here. Martha, Martha, you, your mind is split between what is good and what is necessary. You're worried about many things. Ultimately, Martha's not experiencing the, the peace of being in the presence of Jesus is supposed to bring. She's worried, she's frantic, she's running around, she's doing all these things, and she's not experiencing what Jesus came for her to experience. She's making that choice. She's choosing the good thing and not the great thing. Verse 42, he says, but one thing is necessary. Uh, there we go. But one thing is necessary. Mary has made the right choice, and it will not be taken away from her. She has made the right choice. Martha, you have chosen what is good. But Jesus says here, right choice could actually be translated best thing. You've made a good choice. Mary has chosen the best choice. The best choice. And what is that? Hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. The best choice is always the gospel of Jesus Christ. The best choice is always hearing God's word. There are good things, but we should always choose the best thing. As individuals, you and me, Real life, real day-to-day, -day, life always distracts us from Jesus. Always. There's always something. There are always worries. We are always worried about many things. We will always be distracted by our many tasks. Always. But... The right choice is always worship. The right choice is always spending time with God. Hebrews chapter 10, 24 and 25. And let us be concerned about one another in order to, pr to promote love and good works, not staying away from our meetings as some habitually do, but encouraging each other, it goes on to say. Y'all, there's always something that's going to keep us from church. There's always something that'll keep us on Sunday morning. There's always some better thing to do, some reason we can't come on Wednesday night. There's always some reason that we can't 
uh, we can't help with Bible school, or we can't help with this or that, or we can't do, we can't do, we can't do. Life is never going to get easier. I, I, I see my parents, Daddy retired from the railroad, oh, four, five, six years ago now. I don't know how long it's been. They're just as busy as they ever were. They're doing different things. Sometimes it's more of a choice, sometimes it's not. But, but life didn't get easier when they retired. They didn't just suddenly stop and, you know, they lay on the couch all day. I guess they could have, but that's no fun. Life always can get in the way. There's always something for them to do. My mom still owns uh, my grandparents' house in Meridian, Mississippi. They've got to go up there at least once a month to live in the house or it becomes vacant and you've got insurance issues and all this stuff. So they have to go to Meridian at least once a month. And I've got a great aunt who's 94 that they help take care of. So that takes them up there occasionally. Then there's this and there's that and there's, you know, so on and on and on. There's always something. So whether you're my age and uh, you only have one job and, you know, as y'all all know, preachers only work on Sunday and Wednesday anyway. Um, or, you know, you're a, a, a stay-at-home mom raising kids or you're a, a family of four or five and dad goes one way in the morning and mom goes the other way and the kids spread out to the schools and, and you know, you don't see each other till 7.30, 8 o'clock the next night. We're all in the same boat. Life will always get in the way. And those are good things. Understand, I, I know people have to work on, on, on days that they'd rather not. I know people get sick. I, I, know, I, I know what life is. I'm not naive by any means. Those are good things most of the time. But Jesus says only one thing is necessary. Remember when Jesus was at the well talking to the Samaritan woman? He had sent the disciples off to get food. He's sitting there. He talks to the Samaritan woman. I'm not going to preach on that today, but they come back and say, we, did you eat already? And he says, I, I have food you don't know about. They said, whoa, really? That's, well, why did we go hunting for it? You know, and, and his point was, I don't need to eat. You know, eating, sure, it's good. And it has to happen occasionally. But that's not the most important thing. Drinking water is not the most important thing. Sleeping for Jesus apparently was not the most important thing because he'd be up late, he'd get up early. I don't know how he did it. He went on, if you look at the Bible, just you know, the times that we have, you can figure that a lot of nights he was going on two, three hours of sleep, four hours of sleep. The man plowed through some stuff. He knew what was most important. One thing was necessary. As individuals, we have to, we have to know that. Life is always going to distract us. The right choice is always spending time with Jesus. As a church, what about us as a group? Let's be honest here. Ministry can distract us from Jesus. Understand that the good things we do in church can distract us from Jesus. We can, we can have some, some wonderful ideas, and, and we can do some good things that have nothing to do 
really with the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're good. They're fun. We like them. The people like them, etc., etc. But they have nothing to do with the gospel. It, it has been my goal as a pastor and just as a staff member in the past and as it has, it's been this way at churches I was at, to evaluate everything we do based on the gospel factor, if you'd like, if you, if you will. Does what we are doing have the, the possibility of leading someone to Jesus Christ? If it does, let's go at it full bore. If it doesn't, trash it. Because that's not what we're supposed to be about. And understand, I'm not, you know, the, the, the five functions of a church, the five fit biblical functions of a church, one of them includes fellowship, okay? We see that all throughout the Bible, breaking bread together, spending time together. Fellowship is a very, very important function of the church. So I'm not saying if you're getting together to have a, a Sunday school Christmas party that you shouldn't because nobody's going to come to Jesus from that. No, because what I'm saying is if you're having a Sunday school Christmas party and you're doing something outside the church that's not, you know, not heavy Bible study, you may get somebody who had never darkened the doors of this church to come into that party and you then establish a relationship with with that person, and who knows what could happen. You know, I, I've told you already I'm a t-ball coach, uh, and that, let's put coach in quotation marks. Um, I, I'm in charge of the 10, 4, 5, and 6-year-olds that make up the t-ball team, the Astros, uh, whether I'm a coach or we're a team or if it's anything or closely related to baseball is up for, dis for discussion. I could say I don't have time. I could have easily said that. I wanted to say that when, when I was called and said, hey, you want to be the t-ball coach? Not really. I don't know anything about it. I mean, I played baseball when I was a kid, but never coached. But you know what it is for me now? It, if it was just coaching my boy in t-ball, it would be a good thing. But as I was on the phone with the guy who heads it up, I'm thinking, this is an opportunity for me to build some relationships with some, some people that may never come through our doors. I will meet people that I would have never met otherwise. I know I'm building relationships now with 10 families in the Nixon area, or nine families, I guess, that I would have never met. So it's gone from being a good thing that could be a distraction now it's a mission field. Now, will I ever preach a sermon from the, the pitcher's mound of the t-ball? Probably not. But I know that people are asking about me. And I'm not going to go too far in this. But I know people are asking Mark, because he's done it a number of years, what's he like? What's he, is he nice? It has started some questions. That's good. So what could have been just a good thing, I believe, has become necessary. We as a church need to make sure that what we're doing is the same thing. We as a church need to evaluate, is what we're doing going to bring, have the possibility of bringing someone to Christ? 
next Sunday morning during the Sunday school hour, we're going to have an Easter, egg, an Easter egg hunt for the children. Now, we could say, and I, I think there are churches that, that might say, one, we shouldn't do it at all. Easter eggs are a pagan uh, derivative of, of this, this uh, festival, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, you're right. There are those that would, might say we shouldn't do it during Sunday school. They should be learning about the Bible in Sunday school. And I trust our leaders to, to know that Easter egg hunt will be not be a distraction from Jesus. It'll be something we use to point them to Jesus. And that's the crux of the matter. The Easter egg hunt is a tool to get some kids that might not come, to, to get some attention that we might not have had from those kids. Look, I've got an Easter egg. Let me tell you about salvation, if we use salvation eggs or, or resurrection eggs, they're called. Or I don't know what, but I know that we can use that to reach children. I know that we can do other things, but we just need to evaluate are we doing the best thing? Because as a church, good things cannot hinder us from doing the best things. So we evaluate every ministry, every, every event. Because Luke 10.42, Mary has made the right choice. I want Jesus to look down on First Baptist Nixon and look at what we're doing, look at our calendar, and look at our budget, look at what we're spending money on, and say, First Baptist Nixon has made the right choice. We can do good things all year, y'all. And, and, and there is nothing wrong with doing good things. Let's take this garden, for example, that we're... Never thought I'd hear any farmer type say, wish it would quit raining for a little bit. Um, but we can't plant our garden out here because it's rained so much, this clay won't let go of the water, so we can't put the seeds out. Um, is what I'm hearing. I have no clue. Uh, I'm like, what? It just grows, right? Um, that garden, we could look at that, and I, I, I believe and say, yeah, probably nobody's going to come to Jesus because of that. You know, because we put fresh tomatoes back here in God's storehouse, we'll they're not going to look at that tomato and say, this tomato came from first Nixon, and I'll give my heart to Jesus. I don't think we're going to see a, a, a direct correlation like that. But what we will see, and I do believe this, is we will have a community that sees the garden and says, you know, that garden I've heard about, that's First Baptist Nixon. They are giving up their time, their, their money, uh, just honestly, just a few people in the church. It was their idea, and they ran with it. They are doing things for the less fortunate. I want to say there's something in the Bible about feeding those that are hungry. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm not. Um, it's there. They're going to see the church doing what the church is supposed to do. And then those people that see it say, you know, maybe that's a church I want to be a part of. Maybe that's a Jesus that, that, that I didn't understand. I thought church was, and they've got their list of what they thought church was. And some days they're right, honestly. But most of the time they're not. They see an act of selflessness. And they say, you know, 
maybe there's something to this Jesus thing. Somebody gets some of the vegetables. And they hear, or maybe they're told, this came from First Baptist's garden. Really? I've always thought Baptists were mean. Where'd they get that idea? I always thought Baptists were something. I thought Baptists were all Republicans that said, you know, earn your own stuff. You know, whatever they think. That myth is shattered because we grew a garden and gave some vegetables away. So that good thing has become a necessary thing. So you see what I mean? Do you understand that every ministry needs to point to the gospel as a church? So the questions come. The questions come, what are you doing that's good but not the best? In your personal life, what is distracting you from Jesus? What is, you, what is distracting you from worship? What is, what is holding you back? Martha, Martha, you are worried. You are of two minds and upset about many things. What are your many things? What are your, uh, your many tasks? He says. We need to unsplit our minds and devote to God what is God's and spend the time in worship of Jesus. Spend the time at His feet just listening and absorbing like Mary. And let those other things take care of themselves. And a lot of, most of the time, no, I'm not going to say most of the time, I'm going to say all the time, they will. You got a family issue, and I, oh, I can't go to church. I've got an issue in my family. You define the issue. Who has the answer to your issue? Jesus. Who, who, who provides everything we have anyway? Jesus. So we neglect the one who gives us all because we say we got to go earn something or do something or fix something. What are you doing that's not, that is good, but is not the best? And as a church, what are we doing that is good, but not the best? As a church... Are we doing everything that we should be and nothing that we shouldn't be? Are we, are we examining? Are we praying about? And see, good and or best are not defined by can we, uh, do we have the people, do we have the finances? No, no I'm not talking about those kinds of of things. That's not how we, how we go after what we're supposed to be doing. Is it good? Or is it the best? Is it the one thing that we should be doing? See, um, 
Jesus asks the question of us. There, there's only one thing that's necessary. Let's, let's get down to real brass tacks now. Church membership is good. Church attendance is good. Tithing, very good. Tithing is good. Being involved, doing the work, do, you know, being here every time the doors are open, that is good. We can do all of that and go to hell. Because one thing is necessary. Salvation through Jesus Christ. We can get all that stuff and it's only good. And as a matter of fact, come on, y'all, let's, let's be real honest. I, I believe we're somewhere told that our righteousness is as filthy rags. So even what we say is good, it's not even good. Filthy rags. Filthy rags is a cleaned up way of saying it. Let's be, you know, it's really a dung heap. And, you know, we got cows around here, so we're familiar with what that is. Uh, it's worthless. So no matter how good, in our mind, what we are doing is, it's worthlessness. It's worthless. If it's not God's will. And if it's not begun with, and, and, and they're talking particularly about that uh, there, about our inability to earn our way to heaven. So our righteousness, as a church, our good things are worthless if they're not the best things that the church is supposed to be about. As an individual, our, our good things are worthless if we're not worshiping, if we're not uh, in church, if we're not doing the things we should. And, and, and in our hearts, our good enough to get to heaven is not good enough to get to heaven if we don't have the one thing, salvation through Jesus Christ. So my question today, have you done that? You may have been a member of a church for I don't know how long. I don't care. I don't care where you've been to church. I don't care where you went to church. I don't care what you've done. My question for you is, have you given your heart to Jesus Christ? Have you made him your Lord and Savior. Because I think sometimes we do the Savior part. Yes, Jesus, forgive me my sins. I don't want to go to hell. Thanks. I'll see you at the pearly gates. But we totally leave out that Lord part. We don't make him the master of our lives. We don't make him Lord. We talked about Wednesday night that Jesus bought us. In Galatians, we learned that Jesus paid a price. We were on the auction block. We were a slave. We were owned by sin, and Jesus said, here's the price, I'm willing to pay it. He's mine now. But then, see, what, here's what Jesus did. Jesus didn't buy us to own us. He didn't give the money and say, now you're mine. He gave the money and bought our freedom and said, now you're free. You are free to turn around and walk out the door. I've paid the price. You're free to go. Or you can attach yourself to me. You can become my slave, my bond servant. You can make me your Lord. And that's the choice we have to make. The, the purchase has already been made. 
All we have to do is come to Christ and say, thank you for making the purchase. We celebrate that purchase next week. When sin was defeated on the cross, it was paid for. We were taken off the auction block. Our freedom was bought. But now what are you going to do with that freedom? Are you going to put it on your dung heap? Thanks. One more thing. I'm going to go on with my life now. Appreciate it. Or are we going to say, yes, I will accept the freedom that you have given me and return that to you and make myself your bondservant? If you have never done that, a prayer doesn't save you either, by the way. You walked an aisle, you prayed a prayer, that doesn't save you any more than uh, you know, going into Dairy Queen and saying I'm a milkshake. I mean, we could do that all day, and it doesn't make you anything. A heart change is what saves you. Belief, faith, the prayer just verbalizes it. But we have to understand that we're sinners. We admit, we know, I have failed God. Now, I didn't make mistakes. I didn't goof up. I sinned. I broke the law and deserve hell. But I believe. I believe that Jesus is who he says he is. I believe that Jesus came into that city on Palm Sunday and was worshipped like he had never been worshipped before, and five days later he was turned on like he had never been turned on before, was nailed to that cross for me. He took my curse, those were my nails, that was my cross, that was my death, and that was my punishment. And he took it. But he didn't just stop there. Because we celebrate the cross on Friday. On Sunday, we celebrate the empty tomb. Jesus rose from the grave. Why? Well, because he was God, and nothing keeping him back. But number two, to show us, the Bible says, to be the first fruits of the resurrection. To show us, this is what you get, y'all. You're going to die, but you're not going to die in your sin. I took that. And then, you're going to rise again just like I did. We have that promise of salvation. We believe that and then we confess. The Bible says confess with your mouth and you'll be saved. The point being to, to internalize it in such a way that it comes out. You're not going to talk about something that never really happened. You're not going to talk about something that didn't change you. But when it comes out of your mouth and when it is proven by your actions of baptism, you have in your heart and your mind settled your salvation. So if you have never done that, today's your day. We're going to have an invitation time. God is working on your hearts. What are you going to do with that? You want to come up here and talk to me? You've done it. You want to express that? You want to tell the world about it? Come do that. God's working on your heart, and you want to talk to me after the service? Come get me. We'll do it. There's the card, the... Uh, uh, communication card in front of you. There's a place on there. I want to accept Jesus. However you want to begin this, let's begin it. Let's do it. Let's not wait another day. God is moving in this place. Let's let him move. Let's pray. Father, you are working on hearts today. Lord, your word has spoken. You have drawn us in. Now, let's, let's finish the transaction, Lord. I pray for everyone here 
who is, is seeking, who is hurting, who is looking for the answers. God, you are the answer. So move in a mighty way across this place. Speak to every heart. Don't let anyone leave here unchanged, God. Draw them today. Break down the barriers. Uh, take away the excuses. God, you move in this place. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.